Good morning. This is uh, This American Podcast Comedy Edition. I'm Tony Visick. We're coming to you from high above Scottsdale, Arizona at the ComedySchools.com studios at the corner of Camelback and Goldwater, the richest corner in all the world. I am speaking with a guy who I met uh, in the 80s in Florida before I took off on a tour with Lester Bibbs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Who, who was asking me to get him in with Sandy DePerna. Because she was booking the Richmond Comedy Club. Whatever happened to Lester Bibbs? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, before, I don't even want to... I'm talking with Tom Rhodes, who I'm so happy to see. Uh, and he is at the Laugh Factory. If you're listening to it today <laughs> or this weekend... <laughs> you just dropped such an 80s bomb on me. Oh, my, I, my brain can't handle it. I got it. 80s bombs. Uh, Tom is at the uh, Laugh Factory all weekend, which is at uh, 7000 East Shea Boulevard, ScottsdaleLaughFactory.com. Tom, the last time I saw you, uh, we talked over the years a few times. We were both young and handsome the last we were time young, we saw We were each young other. and handsome. Now, and now, we're, now we're older and handsome. We're older and, and debonair. <laughs> You're a debonair, man, because you became um, a world traveler. I mean, when I, when I look at uh, a lot of my comic friends that come in here and we do interviews with, uh, you know, and they're, doing all, they're living in L.A., they're living in Studio City, you are just globetrotting, man. I mean, you're, you're like huge... With the Dutch. Uh, I lived in Amsterdam for five years, and I had a late-night talk show on Dutch television for three years. I always just thought that was stunning and exciting. I go, man, this guy, you know, that's one of the cool things about stand-up comedy. We all kind of started out working one-nighters, traveling around, maybe sleeping yeah, in a car. Go yeah, I started, in, I started in Florida. I mean, and I remember you were a, a legitimate headliner when I met you. Uh, I was a youngster. And I started out in Florida. I'm from the Orlando area is where I grew up. And so I started out on the southern circuits. And I played in every town that ends in Ville or Borough in the southern... Or Berg. In, yeah, in the southern... Opolis. Southern United States. And, um, you know, I, I eventually started playing the whole country. And I, I moved to San Francisco is where things really came together for me as a comedian. And then... I started, I was Comedy Central's boy, their face of the network when Comedy Central came on. And then uh, I ended up with my own sitcom on NBC. You did. You did. And so that only lasted for one year. And it was kind of a frustrating experience because um, I was a school teacher that gave all the jokes to the kids. Typical comedian story. But I looked at that money as kind of my NBC artist grant. And so I moved to New York City, and I started taking systematic trips to London because uh, Greg Proops and uh, Rich Hall were good friends of mine, and they were in with London, and they thought I would do good there. So I got in with London, and then that led to gigs all over Europe and then all over the world, Asia, Australia, and uh, I performed in Amsterdam, and I fell in love with a Dutch girl. And I, I, I moved to... Uh, Amsterdam, and I, you know, after the the sitcom, I was kind of angry at humanity and show yeah. and show business, and uh, living in Holland made me love life again, and so um, I was started to do all these worldwide circuits then, and I'm living in Amsterdam, and it's pretty remarkable because I'm from like kind of a small citrus farming village in Florida, and uh, this girl dumped me, and I was just about to move back to the United States. When these people, the Dutch girl dumped the you. Dutch girl, yeah, uh, and so I was just about to move back to the United States. I didn't know what what direction my life was going to go in, and these people from this 
television network in Holland uh, were looking for an American to host a late night talk show like David Letterman. And I got the job. <laughs> so I got to stay in this little country that I had fallen in love with. And what better way to get back at an ex-girlfriend than to get wildly famous in her little country? Yeah, yeah so every time we turns on television, there you are. And I ended up marrying a, a, a Dutch woman. Uh, not that one, but... Uh, a different Dutch woman. A different Dutch woman. So, Six of one, half dozen of the other? Was that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I like only paying half, Tony. <laughs> Are you still married to the Dutch woman? Yeah, no, we just... Um, and, and it was long after the television... Uh, actually, being on television... Uh, worked against me with my wife because Dutch people are unimpressed with celebrity. So the fact that I I was back in Holland doing a, a theater tour, and the fact that I had been on television, uh, the girl thought, ah, you know, the guy's probably full of himself. Um, but um, it ended up working out. And you know, it sounded like it worked out well. I mean, so now you're back in the United States now. I just so um, after Amsterdam, I, I I moved to Los Angeles for two years. And I was paying rent on a, a place I was never at. And so I threw everything into storage. And that was 10 years ago. So for the last 10 years, uh, I've just been traveling the world as a comedian. I normally do six months of the year outside of the country. Uh, last year, I did five months in Europe and a month in Asia. Uh, and then six months all over the United States. Uh, the year before, I did a month in New Zealand, a month in Australia. There's like there's comedy gigs all over the world now. Yeah, yeah. and then all over Asia, there's great comedy scenes. And you were in Hanoi. Yeah, you went. You went to the Nam. Yeah. Do you ever like? Now, so you're married now, so you're never trying to pick up women. But you would have like at one time a great pickup line, or even in an argument, you could stop people. Going, you don't understand, man. I was in the Nam. However, you weren't there during the war. Well, my father uh, uh, flew helicopters in the Vietnam War. So I just went there to see if anyone looked half like me. (laughs) Any luck? (laughs) No, actually, uh, when I worked for Comedy Central, I did an hour special called Viva Vietnam. Yeah. Uh, In 1994, Bill Clinton lifted the travel ban on Vietnam the way Uh uh, Obama just did with Cuba. And uh, I pitched Comedy Central this show where I would go to Vietnam and I filmed like a travel log uh, to, to, you know, uh, you know, to have fun for the guys who didn't get to have a good time there. Yeah. Uh, I did the Jane Fonda workout tape in Hanoi. <laughs> I brought Rock'em Sock'em Robots, fought people as like a rematch thing. Um, and, and so I just went back to Vietnam last year for the first time in 20 years. Um, so the first time I went there and filmed. It wasn't like a Peter Fonda movie where you're going back trying to find a guy who's Locked in a cage or something like that. No, 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 no. No, no you weren't. You were no. doing any wet work. No, no. Telling jokes. No, but uh, <laughs> th- th- that special kind of put me on the map. I think. Yeah. Um, I think that's what led to my deal with NBC. So now you're. Uh, you've been to Ireland, and uh, I was. I do Ireland like once a year. You do once a year, and uh, I heard you referencing James Joyce, and uh, I was looking at some of your stuff. Is, uh, are you able to do James Joyce jokes on stage? Does anyone get them? No, uh, <laughs> but there's uh, I, uh, James Joyce, one of the most unreadable books ever. Yeah, uh, everybody Ulysses. says it's one of the greatest pieces of fiction. It's, it's completely unreadable. And it's uh, unreadable. I have a good friend in Dublin who gave me this book that you read. Like, it's a guideline. It tells you what's happening with the book, so it's, it makes it easier to read. I tried it with that, couldn't read it. But uh, uh, here's... A line um, that I can only do in Ireland, um, but I, I, I love Oscar Wilde, and 
He would be happy to know that if he were here today. Oscar Wilde's uh, career and life was destroyed uh, by the guy who invented the Marcus of Queensbury rules. Mm -hmm. Um, Oscar Wilde had an affair with his son, Bosey. And the Marcus of Queensbury destroyed his career and had him put in jail. Um, (coughs) Moral charges. Yeah. And and so because I love Oscar Wilde so much, uh, on the rare occasion that I do fight, I only fight dirty. <laughs> you know, there's a maybe that's that's a great line. There's also this maybe apocryphal, but there's supposedly as Oscar Wilde was dying, he was in a rather unattractive hotel room and he was looking at the wallpaper and went, One of us must go. Either I go or the wallpaper yeah, goes. Yeah, yes. yeah, okay, yeah, you yeah, know yeah. that, yeah. And that's such a but I mean wasn't his real last words kinda like gurgle, gurgle, yeah. you know, help. Gurgle, yeah. gurgle. Should we bring uh Spencer in for a moment? Yeah, why not? Because okay. uh, both of you guys are at the Laugh Factory. And uh, this is Spencer. I called you Jeremy, which know. is not your name, nope. because your name is Spencer. Yeah. But I made this sort of 1970s uh, former drug addict addled connection in my brain of Jeremy Spencer, a guitarist in Fleetwood Mac. But you are not a guitarist in Fleetwood Mac. No. You're a comedian any, from Denver. No, I don't play an instrument whatsoever. And, and you've played Ireland. No. Vietnam. No. no. Australia. No. And I don't Riverside, know. California. I, don't know. <laughs> I think I know who Oscar Wilde is. Yeah. <laughs> so, Spence, you're you were Tom at the Laugh Factory. Do you live in Los Angeles now, or do you no, live? No, I live in Denver, Colorado. You live in Denver. So my drug stories are limited. Uh, you know, if you live in Denver, I don't tell you your drug stories can be limited. Well, we only have one, and we like it a lot. Okay. So you want to share it with us? No, I only we only have one drug. Oh, you only have one drug. This week, my brother could sit here and talk about that for a long time. <laughs> uh, How eat, long have you been doing stand up? Uh, six years full yeah. time. Yeah, it's going well. Oh, uh, not like this guy, but I mean, it's it's. I'm having a good time. How many triple runs have you been on? Oh God, <laughs> you had triple runs back then. You still I would. I runs? I was one of the the first the first four nights I ever headlined in my life. 1987 was a triple run. He a guy named Doug Starks. Did you know Doug out of Vegas? No, he's a very very funny guy. Uh, a great um great Sammy Davis Jr. impersonator. But he was a stand up comic. And he worked the triple run. He goes, dude, there's this guy booking comedy up in Idaho. It pays really well. Idaho it, Falls? I worked, Please, I, no. I worked Idaho Falls. This was the first run. Sun Valley, then Burley, then Pocatello, then Idaho Falls. Pocatello and Idaho Falls are still there. 250 bucks a night, 1987. I'd never headlined before. He goes, this dude is new. Just send him an audio cassette and he'll book you. So I went to the Golden Sales in Long Beach. We have a guy named Danny Mora. He used to be at the comedy store. I made an audio cassette. I sent it to David Tribble. He goes, I can't understand a word you're saying, but everybody's laughing. You're hired. So that was, uh, those were early. Tri- Did you do Tribble runs, Tom? I had never done that gig, and it was notorious for being the toughest one-nighters in America. And uh, Rich Hall is an old great friend of mine. He's been very, he's... he's ungodly funny, man. Uh, ungodly funny. You know, he was on Saturday Night Live. He wrote the Sniglets books. Um kind of forgotten in the United States because for the last 15, 20 years he's been living in London. Yeah. And he makes specials for the BBC that are brilliant. You can look them up on YouTube. Um, so he's been really smart with his money. He owns a ranch in outside of Livingston, Montana. So about six years ago, my wife and I went and spent the entire month of August in, uh, in Montana at his ranch. And I was... I've been obsessed with filming uh, clips for YouTube because I've been trying to develop a comedy travel show 
the way Anthony Bourdain goes around the world and it's all about food. I wanted to do that with comedy. It's a great idea. I had never done the Tribble Tour, so I thought, uh, hey, what the hell, you know? And I've played all over the world. So I did it for the very first time only about five or six years ago. And you've done creative entertainment gigs in the 80s, so how bad could it be? It was the worst gigs I've ever done in my life. (laughs) And that Idaho Falls gig... Was the worst gig ever. It's awesome. It's the it like uh, it, oh, I it, love that room. It's like it's where uh, McDonald's French fries, the potatoes are grown in that area. So there's there uh, and you know there's no oh. falls there. Yeah. So these are like uh, kind of hefty, rotund potato farmer people, and this bar is where they go to mate. Yeah. And they can't mate until the comedy show is finished. Is there still a Confederate flag up on the wall? Oh, I don't, uh, 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 was Idaho in the Confederacy? No, Kurt Matthews, I don't know if you know Kurt out of San Francisco, uh-huh. used to open for me, and uh, he runs a, a comedy business out of San Francisco, told me, and I forgot, that we walked into the bar in Idaho Falls, he did his thing, and I went up and there was a Confederate flag on the wall, and I, felt, I still feel like whenever I'm doing stand-up, I have the right to say whatever I want, and nobody should be able to do anything about it, and I should be able to go home unencumbered. And I walked up and go, what's that flag doing there? Do you have any other second place or loser flags you want to hang up? You want to hang up a Cubs flag? You know, you guys were, and I ripped into it. So, so I did those gigs. So you went and did that. But let's talk about uh, Rich Hall for a moment, who I, I had the uh, pleasure of meeting years ago in Vegas and working with and seeing him do some of the boldest stuff I've ever seen on stage in my life. We had another comic in here, uh, uh, and I can't remember his name, who does show, does television shows with Rich Hall now. And wax poetic about him. Tell me about your experience with Rich. Um, well, I could when I did Viva Vietnam. That mm-hmm. was the hour special that I did for Comedy Central, where I went to Vietnam, and that was in uh, that was in conjunction with that was for the twentieth anniversary of the end of the Vietnam War. It aired in April '95, so I could choose one writer to go with me. And Rich was already a successful guy. He didn't need to do it. It was kind of beneath him. I had met him, and I really liked him. And he did a special for Showtime called Vanishing America yeah. that I really liked. So um, I asked him if he would go, and he went as my writer. And so you were making jokes about I was in Nam, and so that's always been the joke with me and Rich and our friendship. And we were in Nam together, bro. And um, I... Rich is, is a vegetarian, and we went to a, a restaurant where they served every th- kind of animal. They had bears and monkeys and cages, and <laughs> this guy was really uh, emotionally upset. He couldn't do anything, uh, and we, we ordered Cobra, and the waiter, but you know, you're in Asia, everything's really cinematic, and you know, you're sitting around a table like this, and the waiter brings out this Cobra, and he just throws it on the ground. And, you know, you're just observing this. You're like, wow, this is like whatever their tradition. And the, the cobra is just like three feet away. And then the waiter starts smacking the cobra <laughs> on its nose. Because apparently it's tastier when it's angry. <laughs> the blood is pumping. And then the cobra, like, reared back. Its hood went up. And it struck at the guy. And the noise that came out of this cobra, um, I, I about defecated in my pants. It was so frightening. And the, and the waiter, like, he, he, he leans back and then he, he snatches the cobra by its throat. Uh, they kill it right there at the table. And they, they, first he cuts the heart out. And they put 
the little cobra, there's like all these shot glasses, and they put the cobra heart in the, this is, Viva Vietnam is on YouTube, if you, I put it on, if you, if you ever want to see it, and this scene is, I in, do now, the scene sitting, is in it, he's sitting next to a vegetarian while this is happening, while this is happening, yeah, he's a vegetarian, and so they cut out the cobra's heart, and it's still beating, they put it in the shot glass, and oh. then they drain the blood from the cobra, and they pour it into all these shot glasses, and then they poured vodka in it, so it's a shot that you're supposed to do, this was a wealthy restaurant. The poor, you got to be well off. To eat poor like Vietnamese this. people would not be at this place. This place is a really expensive. Cobra ain't cheap. Yeah, so uh, you're supposed to do the cobra shots, and the guest of honor got the one with the heart in it, and so I was the guest of honor, and uh, they said, you know, you're going to offend people if you don't, you know, drink it. And I said, uh, I don't care who I offend. I ain't drinking no Cobra Heart, you know. By the way, that's how the Vietnam War started in 1954. Because someone didn't drink the Cobra Heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it offended the... Offended. But I said, how am I going to be able to go home at Thanksgiving and tell my mom I'm not going to eat her yams <laughs> when uh, I wouldn't when I drank a Cobra Heart? I did the one, I did the shot with just the blood and the vodka, but not the one with the heart in it. So you drank it. And, and oh. Rich's reaction... Uh, he came around a couple days later. He was uh, he got the spark back in his eye. But that dude, I think you got Anthony Bourdain beat with that story. As far he as the went travel, to, you know, he went to Vietnam. I think he went to a restaurant like that. Um, you know, it, it, I, I've filmed some 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 pilots myself that I tried to make. Like I did one on the comedy scene of Malaysia. Oh no! So that's why I did the Montana thing. Was I filmed it? And I, and I actually put the uh, that little uh, it, it's in search of evil Knievel is what it's called on the on YouTube um, the little film that I made where you jumped the snake did you go down where because is is that that's Twin Falls uh, near uh, the Snake River where evil Knievel tried to do the jump and well evil Knievel's from Butte Montana yeah so when I was a kid that little uh, wind up. He was a little doll on a motorcycle, and you could wind it up. That was, like, my favorite toy as a kid. So I bought one on eBay, and um, when I went to his grave in Butte, I set up a little ramp with the doll, and I had the evil Knievel doll jump Evil's grave. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want to clear that up. You're married now. Yeah. Okay, you're married now, but because earlier you said your stuff was in storage. So I've had everything. Your in wife's not in storage. No, I've had everything in storage for ten years. My wife has been with me for seven, and she's a photographer, and we've been traveling the world, uh, and you know she's really she makes art. She's looking for photos. I'm looking for jokes. We've been traveling the world, and uh, we just got an apartment in Los Angeles two weeks ago. Congratulations. Yeah, so for the last week, I've been opening boxes that have been sealed in storage for the last 10 years. And it's a remarkable time capsule of technology because, you know, I've got, I've got so many outdated electronics. I've got a disc man. You know, I've got... Uh, it's outdated now? I've got a fax machine. Are you still using your disc man? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I just faxed a picture of it. <laughs> Um, so it's been really Do you have a dial phone? Uh, no, I didn't have a phone. But I, it's been interesting uh, opening all these boxes and seeing what I've held on to. I opened up a box not too long ago, and I had, because um, I, have, I have a home out here now, but I had boxes from living in Los Angeles or even living in the Midwest, and I found a box of audio cassettes. And for a minute, I'm looking at them going, I'm not too sure what these are. That you recorded notes on. That I recorded notes cool. on, yeah, yeah. 
I found that. I found Odalani Bruce tapes. You know, but it, it's almost like... Like Michael it, Keaton in Night Shift. Yeah, exactly. Idea to I, eliminate I, I garbage. Yeah. Edible paper. <laughs> you know, and now people do it uh, regularly on their phone, but it was considered funny then. Uh, just real quick, the reset. We're talking with uh, um, uh, the very funny and interesting Tom Rhodes and uh, Spencer. What Spencer like? James. Spencer James, and they are at the Laugh Factory uh, this weekend, which is at 7000 East Shea Boulevard. It's ran by Paul and Paul, Paul Hopp and Paul Rodriguez. It's at the corner of Scottsdale and Shea. Everybody in town knows where that is. If you're interested in tickets, uh, and you should be, uh, the number is 480-607-6878, or you can go to um, uh, scottsdalelaughfactory.com. So that lifestyle works for you guys, you and your wife, the uh, just the, the uh, never-ending tour kind of thing. I mean, I think that's cool. But for some people, it it, uh, it starts to wear them out. But you're, you're handling it. No, it's it. been great. And what we've done is for the last the last four years in a row, uh, when we finished in Europe, we would go to Rome for a couple weeks and rent an apartment. Uh, you know, you have Airbnb. For, sure. For Italy, sleepinitaly.com. Yeah. Is great. And uh, we would stay near the Vatican. So we did that the last four years in a row. Depending where we are in the world, we would go. We Instead of living one place, we went to live anywhere we wanted. Two years ago, I finished a month in Asia, and then we went to Bali for a couple weeks. Uh, in the United States, we would go to New Orleans a lot or Austin, Texas, and um, stay in hotels uh, I stopped drinking a year and a half ago, so I haven't, haven't been back to New Orleans since I stopped drinking, oddly enough. So, but no, we've really had this nice adventure. But, uh, you know, as the headliner, uh, you know, I got to deliver the, the goods every night wherever I'm at. And, you know, every week we go to a different city and there's, I've got comedian friends all over the world and uh, new people to hang out, different things to see. We didn't really have time to reflect on, you know, and I've been, gotcha, work, yeah, I've, been working okay. on, I've been working on a book for the last three years about my life traveling the world uh, as a comedian. And, uh, and then also, m- you know, my wife loves to cook, and uh, I wanted her to have her own um, kitchen. And I lived in Los Angeles twice. I lived in L.A. at the top of the Hollywood Hills when I had my sitcom uh, flush with money. And then after I moved back from Amsterdam, I lived in L.A. in Koreatown with not very much money, kind of broke. So I'm hoping this third time in Los Angeles will be the three bears, the porridge is just right. You're, what are you, like in Studio City or in the Valley? No, or? man, I'm in a great area. I, uh, I live right by the Farmer's Market, uh, Fairfax. Sure, I know so, it. So uh, there's a lot of... Jewish Orthodox guys on Saturday walking up and down Fairfax in black suits and black hats. And then you go to the Grove, and there's a lot of wealthy Muslim Arabic people yeah. uh, in headscarves and stuff. So, uh, you know, I hope a holy war doesn't kick off, but it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. They seem to, you know, Los Angeles, is, everybody seems to get along. They just all hate themselves because <laughs> <laughs> they don't have a deal. You know, I think right. that's it. If we just get the whole world in show business, then you're so wrapped up in getting your deal, you don't have time to hate other people. It's kind of a, well, kind of a, you know, a look, modern version of Adam Smith's idea of economics. Vester Flanagan, Bryce Williams, he um, he had a difficult. He, he wanted to be in show business so bad, and it didn't work out for that's, him. You know, it's <laughs> it's one of those things I haven't really processed yet. 
You know? I'm uh, yeah. It's uh, and you know the guy filmed it on a GoPro. He had it really planned. He went to the airport and rented a car. I've read uh, all about it. And uh, do we know a car company? Yeah, let's give them a plug. <laughs> uh, but you know, and then he he posted it to to Facebook and uh, what are you on the whole gun control thing, man? Because this is it seems like and how and here's a great question. Because of all the comics I've interviewed, you're the one who's probably the most well-traveled worldwide. How does the rest of the world deal uh, view us in, in like our gun issue? Do they still think we're a bunch of cowboys and John Wayne? Because every week... No, they think we're absolute lunatics. I mean, look, you know, there was probably like 100 deaths from no seatbelts, and we changed the law. Anytime there's anything... Um, you know, uh, we're pretty proactive. We, we, we're very proactive in changing laws, but like it's the one thing we don't even want to talk about to 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 even modify it a little bit. Uh, I mean, at the very least, there should be background checks. You know, I, I see when you know, I even though the occasional thing slips through the cracks, sure, and, and sure, any criminal or crazy person can get a a gun, but I mean, do something. Something does need to be done. I mean, what I see, you know, and, and uh, I look at uh, news all, all across the spectrum, and what I see uh, uh, on the conservative side, it seems someone goes, gun control, they go, Planned Parenthood. You know, gun control, they go, Hillary's emails. They won't even address it, or they just fall back to... Well, you know, the, the NRA's stance is always, well, you know, if there was a citizen that had a gun, they could have stopped them. So, like, they want every issue to be resolved like a uh, Waco, Texas biker bar. Yeah. That just, you know, if somebody pulls out a gun, someone should shoot him. You know, Mike, the more there is of something, the more there is uh, the odds that people are going to use it. Like if if every time you walked into every office there was a tab of LSD or a joint or, or uh, you know, a hit of speed, eventually more people would do that drug. You know, if it would just well, I am, I am, I am for guns. I am, yeah. I am an absolute pro-gun person. Are you a gun owner? No, that's the thing. See, I'm because, anti-guns and own them. Well, that's interesting because I know there would be dead people. I yeah. know I have a temper, and uh, I should not <laughs> own guns. And you know, like the, uh, uh, you know, they should at the very least limit. The magazine clips sure. for semi-automatic weapons. That uh, shooting in Tucson, the only reason that guy didn't kill more people was because he had to reload and somebody tackled him. Yeah. yeah. So that's all I ask from my government is to just give me the chance of tackling my executioner if he happens to reload. Well, it's the same uh, governmental organization, uh, uh, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. And my, <laughs> my thought always was of all those things of alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Those that love them most should use them least. So, now you said you quit drinking a year and a half ago. Yeah, and I love drinking and I love smoking cigarettes until yeah. I stop. So, that's interesting. That's a good Same theory. Here. That's a yeah. great theory. So, I stopped drinking. I still for- love drinking and smoking. It's just simple mathematics that I'm 48 years old. I've been smoking two packs a day for 30 years. Yeah. I'm going to be dead if I don't stop. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, uh, it, it, that, of all the things I've tried to quit, uh, that was the most difficult, and that's like a cigarettes. Sh- cigarettes, yeah, that's yeah. why I'm still sucking on nicotine lozenges. But I stopped drinking 30 years ago. Um, I had a job at the time. I was living on Hollywood Boulevard. I was an unlicensed pharmaceutical rep on Hollywood Boulevard, <laughs> and uh, uh, that that job. Well, that mean you're selling pills? To I, I don't want to. I don't want to say that. The exactly. statute of limitations. No, is <laughs> never powders, perhaps pills. It's a waste of time. People like powder. Um, so I quit. 30 years ago because things had gone badly. Did you quit? Was it a 
conscious decision, I just don't want to do this anymore, and you hit some sort of bottom. For drinking? Yeah, for drinking. Yeah, I, um, you know, like an athlete, I uh, I, I just lost a step. I was getting, a, 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 the last couple years I was drinking, uh, wasn't as good at it anymore as I had been, and then I was starting to get, I had always been a relatively good-looking guy, I was starting to get that. You used to have light hair, <clears throat> not a, you know, you had long hair. Yeah, I was sexy. Yeah, you were, yeah. I, I was starting to get this uh, fat white guy alcoholic face yeah. that my dad had with the booze nose, yeah. and uh, I was in Philadelphia a year and a half ago, and uh, I, I, well, it's connected to Arizona. I don't care about sports, and especially not college sports so I was in Philadelphia New Year's Eve and I did three sold out shows it was great uh, I had January 1st off uh, New Year's Eve was on a Wednesday and I had to stay for the weekend to do the club in Philadelphia my wife was in Holland visiting her mother rarely am I in a city by myself so I'd been working on my book writing all day and I thought I'm going to go and have some beers so I went to this bar and the Fiesta Bowl is starting UCF was playing. That's the College of Orlando. My older brother went there. He has season tickets. He was at that game. I thought, hey, I'll watch the Fiesta Bowl. And on a side note, a guy, the quarterback of UCF, uh, played for my high school. Not when I was there, years later. So, uh, so I thought, hey, what the hell? I'll watch the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, it was a great game. UCF ends up winning. I had 10 pints of Sierra Nevada. Very normal evening for me. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm always been a heavy drinker. So I'm texting my brother after the game finishes. Great game. Love you, bro. And I passed out. I blacked out. And I just, off of a bar stool, I fell like a tree. And my head hit this tile floor. And I was wide awake once my head hit the floor. And some guy's lifting me up. And he goes, we got to call an ambulance. And I said, I don't have health insurance. Don't you dare call an ambulance. And he said, you got to get to a hospital. And I said, how far is the nearest hospital? He goes, two blocks. I go, two blocks and you're going to call an ambulance? That's like 15 grand. So I got a wad of napkins from the bar <clears throat> and walked to the, the, the emergency room. And there was blood everywhere, man. And I had a big gash on my forehead. And the next day I had a black eye and I had these Frankenstein stitches on my forehead. And I just saw such ugliness in the mirror. Yeah. And I just said, that's it. I'm done. And I've never been to an AA meeting. And there's nothing wrong with people that go to AA meetings. I just didn't need to do it myself. It was never a question of, oh, man, I need a drink, man. No, I made the decision. And, and then all I needed to do uh, is look in the mirror and see this scar to be reminded of why... Uh, I didn't want to drink. And I've had such a productive year, year and a half, since I stopped drinking. I'm not hungover half the day. Uh, I'm less moody. I argue with my wife less. And, uh, you know, I think it, personally, I think it was the one of the single greatest things ever to happen to me, the fact that I busted my head open in Philadelphia. See, sometimes what's the worst day of your life ends up being the best day of your life. Yeah. yeah. And then the street cred credibility I got from the homeless people walking around Philadelphia. <laughs> what happened to you, big man? Did you get in a rumble? <laughs> yeah. Spencer, are you a drinker? Are you a... No, neither one. Drugger, heroin? Nope. I'm do a rarity. You, do you eat too much junk food? No. Nope, yeah, you're a very clean-cut looking guy. Spencer is a very clean-cut. He's a, he's a... How Except old are you? Beard. 
Uh, yeah. 32. You're 32. 32. Uh, so none, none of those problems. No, I never really did it. Yeah? No. No? No. All right, so you guys are both, you're at the Laugh Factory all weekend. Uh, who's the, do you know who the opening act is? Do you remember their name? Mason, Mason Jar, I think is his last Mason name. Pipes. Pipes. Mason Pipes. Pipes, very funny local comic. We very have, funny, nice guy. Yeah, we have a very vibrant local comedy scene here. And a lot of... Uh, There's a great scene here. Lots of clubs. There's a lot of clubs, yeah, yeah. I mean, we regularly... I mean, Paul Hopp, I, the first paid professional gig I ever had in my entire life was in, I think, March of 1986, and Paul Hopp was the manager of that club. Wow. And I was in Los Angeles, and Rich Scheidner said, why don't you be my <clears> opening <throat> act? I had no idea what an opening act was. I had no idea what... I, I'd done three months open mic nights. They came here, and I worked for Paul, and 30 years uh, later, he and I are still doing business together. Uh, there's other great clubs in town, but we're talking about the Laugh Factory now, so we're going to respect that. I can't thank you guys more for coming in, man. Great stories. Great seeing you. I mean, I've seen you over the years on television. I keep track of people that I always liked. I always, you probably don't remember. I remember the night in Florida. We did some one-nighter. I was the headliner. We were the opening act. We were hanging out afterwards. and uh, I always liked you very much. I always yeah. thought you were a great guy. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and I was a young guy. You were the headliner. I thought you had a lot of class. I thought you were a lot really funny. And uh, I'm I'm thrilled to see you all these years later, and you look fantastic. And I'm not bad for an old I'm, man. I'm no. glad to know you're doing yeah. so well. Well, we are doing well. And uh, this is, by the way, I don't know if I. This is my wife Shirley Visick, who has built out hey this guys. entire Hi, Shirley. <laughs> everything that we're doing now, she built out. I go. I mean, I have people that handle other parts of my business, but I go. I want this whole kind of uh, uh, internet radio thing, this podcast thing. And uh, one day I went into a room that's a spare bedroom. She was in there typing away. I go, what are you doing? She goes, I'm doing it. So we have her to thank for everything that's going out today on Twitter that's and great. Facebook. My, my wife is the engine behind my empire. My, yeah. I, I have a podcast, and my wife edits it, and yeah. she helps me with the social media, and she's a you know photographer. Does She keeps me... Uh, well-oiled in the social media game. Well, we're going out live right now on Twitter and on Facebook. We're going out live on Twitter and Facebook and uh, also Mixler, although Mixler is new with us, so probably no one's picking up there. But then next week, we have an email database of 54,000 of comedy patrons here in the greater Phoenix area, and yours will be the inaugural podcast going out that uh, email database. Tom Rhodes, thank you so much for coming in. Spencer, pleasure meeting you. Love and respect okay. to you, sir. Okay, and uh, that, is, uh, that is the inaugural podcast of This American Podcast Comedy Edition. I'm Tony Visick, um, and we'll be back uh, when we decide to come back. Thank you very much.